Hello, my name is Rodrigo. This is Ryan. And Ryan Novak, I am super excited about this podcast. You've been talking about this for a while, man. Since the moment we started this series, I've literally been waiting for this moment. Because (laughs) uh, a few years ago, I want to say maybe two or three years ago, I did this super in-depth study of Mark. And ever since then, A, I've wanted to do like a video series podcast thing about it. But I've, I've, I've found a whole level of admiration and respect for Mark 8 verses 27 through the next couple of chapters because it changes everything, Ryan Novak. It's, this is literally what we're going to look at is what is called in a theological circles as the hinge scripture. Ooh. Because it literally there's there's sort of a turning of the pages or closing of the doors. I don't know exactly what hinges do, but uh, but there's a big change here with a question that Jesus asked his disciples, which is a, a world-changing question, which he asked them, who do you say that I am? And we're going to get into that in a second. But before we do, I think it's important that we talk about how we got here. Because everything that the disciples and Jesus have gone through up until now is sort of working itself up until this moment and this question that Jesus asks and the disciples answer. And so just a really quick recap, Jesus has a group of people that are close to him, that have been with him really from day one pretty much. Some of these people were fishermen, some of them were tax collectors. They come from all different walks of life. It's a hodgepodge of people and they've given up a lot to be with Jesus, to follow him around. And at the same time, they've seen some amazing things. They've seen Jesus give great, unconventional and godly teachings. They've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him challenge everything from demons to nature itself. They've seen him stand up to the authorities, which is like, man, what a boss. And they've also seen a great deal of compassion that Jesus has had for people. They, there's a lot of things that have even challenged them in their lives and the way that in which they look at the world. And so they are perfectly suited to answer the question, who do you say that I am? And, you know, Jesus asks a lot of questions but there may not be one more important than this one. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Have you noticed how many questions Jesus asks his disciples and asks other people? I sure have. It's amazing that, that in every conversation that he has, that there's just a ton of questions that this guy has. And he seems very big on questions and not so big on answers. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, <laughs> that he doesn't provide many of the answers, that he leaves a lot of things alone and puts the question out there and then sometimes walks away and lets them wrestle with it. Well, and even sometimes when he's asked a question, he answers with a question, which is very frustrating. And I know... Because I do that with my wife sometimes and she gets really mad at me. I hate it when that happens. (laughs) Because I feel like I'm coming to somebody and I'm looking for some help or some answers. The last thing I need is a question put back to me. Right. That I'm looking for help. (laughs) But 
don't you think that when when you get asked questions that it forces you to to think about the situation in different terms questions ryan novak are really important questions in many ways have a push humanity forward like hey what's beyond that hill or how do we make more fire or what happens when you know we go here and not there or can we make more of these or how can we make this better or can we make this cheaper can we make it more expensive can we make it stronger like all of these questions questions basically in many ways determine dare I say, the quality of our lives. Is this person right for me, for example? <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Who asks the most questions of anybody in your life? Oh, my children. Absolutely. By far. Absolutely. And usually begins and ends with the word why. Right. Why this, daddy? Why that? And my wife has, has helped me start identifying and seeing that my daughter has gotten into the why phase <laughs> that everything comes with a why, right? Why, why are we doing this? And why are we doing that? And for parents, I think it's, it can be one of the most aggravating things because it doesn't stop. But if you sit down and you say, why am I telling you to do this? Or why are we doing that? It really does force me to, to kind of reevaluate, is this a big deal to me or is this not a big deal? Am I just saying this because like, like, uh, uh, honey, your, your shoes need to be on the right foot, the right feet. Why daddy? Um, I don't know. I don't know why they need to be on the right foot. I will say that my daughter has the uncanny ability to always put them on the wrong feet and it plays tricks on my eyes. <laughs> like I'm expecting her left foot to be where the left foot is. And it right. looks like the right foot is there and it just plays awful tricks on my eyes. But it really does force me to, to kind of reevaluate a situation, something that I kind of toss out there and she forces it back on me to say, justify what, what you've just said to me. Right. And so, yes, it drives me crazy, but it really helps me as well. And I'm, I'm hoping that what she is doing is teaching me as much about being a parent as I am hopefully uh, coming into the situation already seemingly arrogantly prepared to, to be. Um, but as you think about questions in general, questions are one of the most helpful things to be asked. I think that what I tend to do is I want an easy answer. Right. And so when I go to somebody and I ask a question, I'm typically asking for help and hoping that they're going to give me something easy. And when they put it back on me with a question, I think that it, it, it ends up helping in some ways and hindering in other ways. I think that it ends up the short term gain of being given an answer is overshadowed by the long-term cost of it all. There is great value to questions. And I think there's a lot of growth that can come from questions. And I think it's one of those things, like I feel like, 
I mean, there's questions that are like sort of uh, demeaning and meant, and people ask you questions just to like sort of shut you down. But I think questions can uh, can lead to a lot of growth. They can lead to when I uh, I don't know if I talked about this on this podcast before, but there was a time that I worked for a, an audiovisual company. I traveled the country doing corporate events, and we did audio and video and stuff. And uh, the company had this guy who I called the ringer. And uh, he was basically in charge of making sure everything worked. And this guy had an unbelievable knowledge of uh, video, audio, and lighting equipment. And so he was the guy that you would go to to ask questions when something wasn't working or if you didn't know. And he used to frustrate the tar out of me because I would ask him a question and he invariably would never answer it. And and it was frustrating until I realized what he was doing, because basically what he was doing is that he was teaching me by challenging me because he knew I knew something. And he knew that with that something, I could figure out what I was asking him. Yeah. And so he would ask questions that would force me to recall the things that I knew and then work myself up to this new problem. And at the beginning it was super frustrating, but I think once I realized what he was doing, like I loved working with this guy because I felt like he uh, sort of understood um, the fact that I had a basic knowledge, but he also saw enough in me that he felt like, challenging me was a good thing and challenging me um, would be useful. And in many ways, I feel like all the questions that Jesus asks lead his disciples to grow. Like, Uh you know, when, you know, I know he asked tons of questions that I think that are really meant for people to self-reflect, to sort of look within themselves to really wonder whether they're following the right thing, whether they're doing the right thing, whether they even know the right thing. And, you know, questions can be very empowering. They can be very, very fruitful. And, and again, talking about the passage that we're talking about, the question that he asked is a crucial question to the disciples' lives. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of these questions that that you can ask, they're, are many, many kinds of questions, and we'll, we'll get into some of that too. But I think just even the idea of asking questions helps people to, to think about a problem or a situation in different ways or in, in new ways and, and approach it with, with an originality or something, something that's unique. Uh, it helps them expand the range of vision of what's possible that man, I, I guess I never really thought of why I put that limitation on myself or on the situation. Um, and it also ends up helping people contribute more. And I think as we get into the, the question that Jesus asks, and we'll get into it more, but I, I think that this is really what gives Peter the, the impetus to move on to the next step that up until this point, it's been all about Jesus and the disciples have been mm. very, um, very, 
Yeah, absolutely. The, very much the supporting cast of the story, and it's all been about Jesus. And now what this is going to do is it's going to help them contribute to what Jesus is trying to do on earth. Right. And eventually get them to the point where Jesus says, all right, I'm ready to leave. This is in your hands. And I'm sure that they had questions about it then and about their own abilities. But I think starting with a basic question like Jesus asks really leads them forward because it gives them a sense of, of what they're able to do. It, it helps them to get a sense of their own strength, of their own abilities, and their own knowledge. And it says, all right, here's where we're at. Let's, let's move forward. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, it's one of the things that Jesus has to deal with after he has this question and the disciples give him his answer is multiple times they're sort of discussing who's the greatest mm-hmm. and who's going to be at his right and left. And these discussions haven't come up up until now. And it's almost like they feel like, hey, like he finally asks us the question and we have an answer for him. Like, even that, like you were saying, and I think it's totally true, I think it propels Peter and all the other disciples to really, in a sense, take a big step up and sort of think about, like, man, like the time, like now that he's asked us this question, the time is coming. Like, you know, we're, let's begin to discuss, like, where we're going to fall in rank because we're ready to do this kind of thing. You know what I mean? I think it's it's an interesting point that you're making. I've, I've never seen it that way. I've, I've certainly always seen the question sort of from Jesus' perspective that he's asking because he's, he's clearly entering a different uh, stage in his ministry, thinking about what's soon to come. But I had never thought about the fact that, you know, the question itself could sort of really advance the disciples themselves. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was in preparing for this, I was checking out some of the work that some of these authors and, and brighter minds than, than you and I have. Um, and there's a guy, Dr. David Stork, who's a, a researcher in, in physics and, and he focuses primarily like on inventing imaging systems and, and pixel sensors and just an absolutely brilliant guy. And he's given a Ted talk about, questions and how questions shape industry and shape companies. And he he used the example of Bell Labs. So nowadays, when we think about where all the creative folks live and and all the big changes, everything happens in Silicon Valley. Right. But before that, Bell Labs was it. And it's based on in New Jersey. It was started way back in the 1800s by Alexander Graham Bell. And it was the premier hub for scientific thinking that everything happened mm. there that, that some of the guys that worked there, they're credited with developing uh, radio astronomy, the transistor, wow. the, the laser uh, information theory, the Unix operating system, uh, the programming languages, C, C plus plus and Eight Nobel Prizes have been awarded for the work completed at Bell Laboratories. Wow. So this place, this place is it. When you talk about scientific research, Bell Labs in the day was just it. And so <laughs> it's kind of funny. 
that they do a bunch of research at Bell Labs, but then you also have researchers who research the researchers. So as they started looking at what makes Bell Labs so successful, there's gotta be something within its culture. They started looking at some of the most successful people and they saw that a number of them had the habit of eating lunch with this guy named Harry Nyquist, who had an amazing scientific career of his own, but they saw that Nyquist was known for asking great questions. Mm. So he'd have lunch with these guys and they'd sit down and he'd say, what are you working on? And they'd start talking about it. And it's not that Harry Nyquist was giving them ideas. What if you tried this? What if you tried that? Um, have you tried tweaking this formula or whatever? Right. But it's that he, he had an ability to ask questions of them that furthered them and furthered their knowledge wow. and got them thinking in new directions and, and in new ways and pushed the limits of, you know, why do you think that that's as far as this machine will go? Why do you not think that there's something beyond what you've already discovered? What if you changed the way that you approached the situation and approached it in a different way? And it, it helped them. It, it developed their understanding of what they're working on, their ideas changed um it helped them transform these ideas and it was he got them to move into places that they'd never been before mm. simply by asking questions and i thought man that's an amazing power that one person has that you don't necessarily have to be knowledgeable in all these areas you know harry nyquist is just one researcher working in one division but ends up having an impact on all these other divisions simply because he's able to help people get the most out of themselves by asking questions. In many ways, that's the same thing that Jesus does with his questions. Jesus certainly had his legacy with his disciples. And I think, um, you know, the disciples clearly don't, don't necessarily yet fully understand what's to come. But like I mentioned before, Jesus certainly had the future in mind all along. Yeah. And I think even he is prepared them, whether they've realized it or not, he is prepared them for the moment in which he was going to ask this question. You know, the, I feel like in, and it, it's super interesting to me because he asked them, He asks them two questions. First, he asks them, like, hey, who do people say that I am? There's those guys, and I'm asking you what those guys say about me, right? And what do they say? Okay. In, in that first question, there's sort of this idea of not, in a, not necessarily in a combative way, but in a, hey, there's them, and then there's, there's you guys. You know what I mean? Clearly, there's a difference. You, you walk with me. Like, there's a different level of intimacy here. And I want to know what they're saying. But more than anything, I want to know what, what you're saying. And so, like, they've been on this journey. 
that in which they've been they've been asked a bunch of questions they've witnessed a bunch of things it's it's amazing because even like think thinking back on some of the stuff that we've talked about right it's almost like at every big moment there's a question when jesus comes a storm and they're totally bewildered by it like he asks them like what what's up with your faith like why don't you like why don't you believe i can do this or you know when when he feeds the five thousand, he also asks them about their faith and why is it that they don't understand what's happening and at all these like very crucial moments, he asked them questions that forced them to, at that moment, ask themselves, like, who is this guy? But we know it's not the first time that they've wondered who he is. Mm-hmm. Who is this guy that can calm a storm, that can bring somebody to life, that can cure a disease that can talk to the authorities this way that can speak with such authority. Like they've asked themselves this question dozens and dozens of times. And like you're like we're talking about is not only advanced the narrative of the story, but it's also advanced the person of Jesus in their minds and hearts. And so now we arrive at this question that's like, Hey, who do you say that I am? And, Again, they're in a perfect place to answer it, which is like, hey, we we think that you're the Christ. And, you know, we, we're going to talk about this in uh, our next podcast and videos here. And we're sort of doing a series within a series. But after this, after Jesus has this question answered and he is sort of told that they believe that he's the Christ, he really begins to teach them what it really means to be his followers, like his disciples. But I think, again, again, it's super interesting to me that all along he sort of like carried them on this journey through questions to arrive at this one conclusion. Uh And, you know, we're talking about questions and we're talking about this particular question. And really what we're trying to do with this particular podcast is, is, make our audience really think about the importance of not only asking questions, but asking the question of like, Hey, who do you think Jesus is? Yeah. Because that the answer to that has so many implications. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause that, that one question ends up launching so many other questions that can be asked of Peter to whom the, the question seems most directly asked, but also to us as, as readers 2,000 years later. Right. Of, all right, here's one question. And your answer, and the, it ends up being like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing, of your answer will send you down a certain path. And what you say is going to have some impact on what happens next. And there are questions that follow. And so if, if my answer or Peter's answer, Jesus says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, I think you're Elijah. Then that brings up a bunch of questions. Right. Okay. Why do you think that? Where did that, where was that said to you? Did I miscommunicate somewhere along the line? (laughs) If he said, I think that you 
are an amazing dude, then more questions come out about, well, what about the miracles you've seen? What about the changed lives? What about the, the, the way that we've engaged other people, the things that you've seen? Am I just a, a, a cool guy to you? Um, if he said anything else, it, it releases or uh, moves them down certain paths. And so this answer takes them down a very specific path. And it's, it's interesting to look at just even the character that Jesus had and the way that he interacted with his disciples to ask questions constantly. Yes. That I've, that I've been trying to look up things about how many questions Jesus asked. And it seems like nobody can, can figure it out. Like I've looked in all these different places and one author has a book that says that Jesus asked 307 questions. And then the next article I see is like, here are the seven questions that Jesus asked. (laughs) And so unless I actually count them myself, I don't know how many that he asked, but the point is that, that in nearly every encounter, Jesus asked just tons and tons of questions. And I think that it it got his his people and the people that he interacted with that it did a number of, of different things for them. It helped them to think critically about where they stood on a certain topic and how they right. they viewed a predict a particular topic. In this situation, looks at Peter and he says, I'm gonna ask you something that is going to change the direction of your life. Your answer is going to provide a very specific pathway that you're going to follow. And this is the most crucial and greatest lesson of Jesus's ministry. And it all focused on who Jesus is. Right. And we've talked about that a number of times about the fact that Jesus is God intervening to help save man. Well, if Jesus isn't God, if he's not the son of God, that means something very specific. And in teaching the greatest lesson of Jesus's ministry, he decides to ask a question rather than to tell them plainly, rather than saying, all right, guys, you've seen a lot of things. Let me tell you something. This may blow your minds, but I'm the Christ. Right. <laughs> that he, he decided not to do that. That he right. decided to take a very different approach. Gather around, is, children. Let me tell you a story. That's right. Which is, to me, it's an amazing, an amazing pursuit or an amazing, an amazing choice to say, I'm going to place the greatest lesson of my ministry on a question. Yes. And that's very risky because he knew that whatever Peter said would change his life. Yeah. You know, um, since, cause I want to park on, on the question for a little bit and sort of put it in, in, in context, because this is not just crucial as far as the, uh, the gospel of Mark is concerned. 
this is crucial as far as the whole story of the Bible is concerned. Right. Thousands of years of history, Ryan Novak. Thousands of years of history are writing on this question. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. People have been waiting for the Christ, and now he's here. And the acknowledgement of that is writing on this one question. The, the, really, the whole of Jesus' ministry is writing on this question. The whole of human history. Yes. It's, it's all writing on this question. Yeah. And, you know, before we started, we were talking about sort of the, the qualities of a question. And this question isn't ambiguous. There's no wondering what it is that Jesus is asking. Right. He literally asked him, like, who do you say that I am? He, it's, it's a very binary, uh, they're very binary options. Either he's the Christ or he's other things. Like, there, there's a lot of options, but the one that he's, he's looking for is, hey, I'm the Christ. Right. And, and again, it, there's, there's a whole history being wrapped in here. And it sort of looks backwards and it looks forward. Like, there's so much, there's so much writing on this one question. Absolutely. It gets right to the heart of everything. Of everything, of what they've experienced, of what they've seen, of what they've heard. Right. The disciples have failed at so many things <laughs> up until this point. But they get this one thing right. And what amazes me is that they get it right, not even fully understanding the extent of the truth that they're speaking. Yes, Jesus is the Christ. But they don't fully understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And I think even that fact is unbelievable to me. I want to go back to something that you mentioned just a minute ago of, of the disciples not really understanding the full impact of what they were saying, that Jesus is the Christ. I, I like that, that he he seems to take the disciples where they're at, meaning that he, um, he doesn't put any qualifiers on them. He doesn't say, okay, you said I'm the Christ. Now explain that to me. What do you mean by that? Um, he says, that's all I can work with this and we're going to learn more about it. I think that so often, um, we can get ourselves into this mindset that, I have to know all the answers. I have to know how to address this situation. I need to know more information. I I don't feel like I'm able to fully flesh out the idea of resurrection or I don't know what it means for Jesus to be God and the son of God (laughs) at the same time and where the Holy Spirit. No, we don't need to know that. All Jesus wants to know is, who do you say that I am? And we'll, we'll move forward from there. That's the question he's asking. He's not asking to qualify it. He's not asking even to prove it. He said later on, as we go forward, we'll see that, that when you confess that with your mouth, that means certain things, that certain things happen now that you've made that confession. Um, you know, we, uh, we just finished going through Mark seven 
And there's this whole question about eating foods uh, that were kosher versus non-kosher. And Jesus says that, that there's nothing outside of man, like, like food that goes into him that can make him uh, morally or spiritually corrupt. But it's that the things that come out of his heart are the things that defile and dishonor him. And so Jesus is trying to get at that piece of the condition of their hearts. He wants them to vocalize, who do you say that I am? What is your starting place? Where right. are you at? And there's so much of the word that spends time talking about the things that people say because it reveals so much about their character. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That it's not that, that God needs to hear you audibly say it with your, your mouth. It's not right. even that other people need to hear you say it. It's that you need to say it, that there's right. something that, that, that happens when my mouth forms the words, Jesus is Lord, that does something, that, that that puts my heart in a certain place and requires certain things of me. I could, I could be a liar, absolutely, but if, if I'm saying that I believe that there are certain things decisions actions um choices that have to follow there's such simplicity in the question and at the same time there's such greatness and complexity to the question because of what the answer means who is jesus i i feel like every time that i read the gospels i learn something new about jesus And I think even us having that question fresh in our minds is important because, yeah, you know, I, I think there, there's a depth to Jesus. There's a, there's a, um, there's a complexity of Jesus and there's also a simplicity to him. And I don't feel like you can understand all those facets of Jesus without having this constant curiosity of who is he? I just want to say this no matter who it is that, that you're listening, that's listening to this, I hope and pray that after this, after listening to this podcast, you will have a, either a new or renewed sense of curiosity for answering that question. Yeah. Because we're talking about the importance of questions and there may not be one that may be more important than this one. Yeah, definitely has an impact. And it's something that will shape our lives. It's shaped, definitely shaped and changed the lives of the disciples. And it's something that has shaped history. And now it finds us in uh, April, 2018. And it forces us to ask the same question, you know, I had referenced Dr. David Stork earlier and, uh, and, you know, he finishes out his, his talk and he asks the question, imagine you had to ask a question now that would be interesting to people in your field a hundred years from now that hasn't been answered. And Jesus asks a question that for the next 2000 years plus 
we're still asking and still trying to figure out and, and answer for ourselves. And I answered that question 23 years ago, and I'm still making, answering that question today. And I'll answer that question again tomorrow. And hopefully 23 years from now, uh, I'll still be answering that question um, of who is Jesus and who do I say that I am and what does that mean for my life? Yeah, man. You, Ryan Novak, you just nailed that. You nailed it. And that's a perfect place to end this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We want to remind you that this is a crowdfunded effort and we appreciate all of your support. You can find us on social media at Ether, at Ether MMC. And thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.